The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. I love digging into the Acts of the Apostles a little more, so I'm going to do so a little bit at the beginning of this homily, because it shows us in that first reading a clear distinction that even happens very early on in the church between the two sacraments of baptism and confirmation. And you may say, oh, thanks, that's very interesting and applicable, but hopefully you'll see how it's interesting and applicable to all of us. So the story we have here in Acts 8 is Philip, you know, one of the first apostles, is preaching in Samaria, north of Jerusalem, up in that area of kind of renegade Jews. So within Judaism, at Jesus' time, there's already a division. The Samaritans didn't worship in the temple down in Jerusalem. They built their own temple on top of the mountain, and they prayed separately. They were Jews by blood and shared the land, but they had a split-off religion, basically. You'll remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, and she says, hey, you know, you people say that it's in Jerusalem that you're supposed to pray, but we pray, like, where is it? And he says, well, the day's coming when they'll worship in spirit and in truth, right? She was a Samaritan. She worshiped somewhere. He was a Jew. And she was saying, hey, what's, how do we settle this, right? There was a division there. So Philip from that town, he's preaching in that area, not just, not Judaism, but this new Christianity, right? And amazing signs and wonders, devils are being cast out of people, possessed people were being set free, paralyzed and crippled people were being cured. I mean, amazing stuff, undeniable stuff. I comes in crippled and he walks out healed. Like, what is going on? Right? This is causing a stir. Obviously, the power of God. There's great joy in the city. Imagine that. If down on Greenwich Ave, you know, people were lined up and walking away, the blind, you'd be like, whoa, who is this person? Well, that was going on with Philip. So word reaches Jerusalem. It says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they're like, wow, this Christianity, this resurrected Jesus, not just in Jerusalem, but now these people who don't even believe with Judaism are starting to believe. And the Greeks are too. It's, it's picking up steam, not just in their own household, but all across the world. And so Peter and John come up there and pray that they receive the Holy Spirit. For it says it had not yet fallen upon any of them. So, so they're healed. Their devils are being cast out, crippled are being, but they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. It says they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Peter and John, these first priests and bishops, they impose 
hands on them, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? The interesting thing is that there's like these two stages in taking on the faith, and this is what I think is helpful for us. One is that initial acceptance where God transforms their life, where they believe, and then a second stage is as they're starting to live this faith, the power of the Spirit to live according to this new faith, right? You can be blind and all of a sudden see, and that's beautiful and wonderful and amazing, but then you have to live every day for the rest of your life according to the gospel, faithful to this miraculous gift you've received. And that's the same for all of us. We've received so much. In baptism, maybe we don't notice the effects as much, but we've received divine life. And that's beautiful and amazing and miraculous that God wants to share his life with us. But another thing is living in accord with that throughout your whole adult life, right? And I think this applies now to mothers, right? There's a parallel here. Mothers give life, amazing as that is, that initial gift of having a child and bringing it to life in your womb and then giving life to it. That's an amazing feat. But then there's the whole role of this little creature that's in your educating, maturing, teaching, forming its heart, its mind, its conscience, its will, so that they become a successful, amazing human being. It's a whole different ballgame, right? There's the initial, and then there's the maturing. And as mothers and fathers, we, have, we receive that amazing initial gift, and then the work of maturing, right? Similarly, I was speaking to a lawyer who told me that it takes 10 years to really learn to be a lawyer, to think like a lawyer. Now, I don't know what that means, if that's a good thing or not. Sure, it's a good thing. But the idea is you study and you learn and you pass the bar, and you start to practice, but to really think like a lawyer and really take on that second nature, so to speak, takes time. That's for any profession, a good doctor, a good nurse, a mother, right? You have the child in your arms. It takes a while to feel like a mother, right? And even that's one of the fears early on is, will I have that nurturing skill and ability, right? It takes time to form that. All this applies, I think, for us as Christians as well, to pass from baptism to confirmation to initial gift of faith to powerful living and transformative day-to-day life experience of God's presence in our lives that we follow. The second reading kind of points to that as well because it says, beloved, this is St. Peter writing, sanctify Christ as the Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. That's the maturity, right? To be able to share what I believe, right? A mature person not only knows it, but then can share it, can explain it, can defend it. I was talking to a a man recently this past week, and he was saying, you know what? I live my faith all the time, but I'm pretty shell-shocked when it comes to sharing it in business or with a friend. or You know, it's like, I just don't always know how to start the conversation. Should I insert it or not? What are they going to think? I don't want to get canceled. So there's that immaturity. How do you live and share your faith? And that's what the Holy Spirit comes to give us, right? That's what the Holy Spirit powers us to do. Interesting that it says, so that when you are maligned, it continues, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. Imagine, we're used to being defamed for bad stuff. 
Like when bad stuff that we've done comes to light, we lose our fame, lose our reputation. And that's part of probably the healing process of owning up. Yeah, I did that. I should lose a little bit of reputation because that's me too. I own it, right? And then I have to recoup my good name, right? By lots of acts of humility and goodness and virtue. And people start to say, okay, that doesn't really define him. They've learned, they've owned it, they've become transformed. That conversion of heart is now a conversion of life. And we can trust them again. But imagine, it says, defame your good conduct in Christ. Days are coming when you're defamed for goodness, like doing the right thing. And people are like, ah, that's bad. You're being honest and truthful and sincere. <laughs> that's bad. When the world gets turned upside down, sometimes that's what happens. The good you become defamed and accused of, right? We need maturity to stand up in those circumstances as well. That's what we need the Holy Spirit for. That's what we need his help to do. And now moving to the gospel, it's Jesus pointing out that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Again, another sign of maturity. I really love you, but I just can't do what you're asking me to do. Well, then do you really love me? If that's not big enough motivation to do especially if it's a good thing that I'm asking you to do or even commanding you if someone has the authority. I love you, but I just don't want to do what you ask. Well, it, there seems to be limits to your love then. Or do you love yourself more than me, right? Part of love is conforming to the good of the other. Submitting my will and my desire to what you will and desire. Coming alongside, setting aside my preferences, to love you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is the beautiful application. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to be with you always, a spirit of truth whom the world cannot, because it's neither sees nor knows him. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, right? The way the Lord doesn't leave us orphans without mother or father, spiritually isolated, without parents, without an origin, without someone there to protect and educate us. Who does that for us in the spiritual realm? Jesus goes up to heaven. Who ensures that we're not orphans, right? Who's there for us? It's one, as Jesus says here in the gospel, I will send you an advocate, someone to be by your side to defend you, a spirit of truth. My spirit will be with you. Just what we heard in the first reading, what the apostles prayed for the Spirit of God to come upon these new Christians. And Jesus promises, I'll send my Spirit. That's going to be your mother, your father, your advocate. You won't be an orphan. I remember experiencing that a little bit when I was in college. I moved out the day after I graduated. Uh, I had a job waiting for me at the university. They were, it was a work, one of those work jobs where they do a little work, but then they, they give you a scholarship. So I had to show up immediately, pretty much, to start a, a summer program for the university. And about a week into it, I, my wisdom teeth went, one of my wisdom tooth went bad, you know. And it came on so quickly that I just had to get an appointment there near the university and go get it taken out, right? And uh, those were the days where maybe mom and dad didn't jump in the car immediately and drive down to be with you. It's like, well, have at it, the guy, you're now 18, you know, face the world. So there I was alone in my dorm room. And I must say, college boys aren't the best at mothering, right? So all my buddies were like, oh, that's too bad, you know, and off they went. You know? So I was alone in my room with this nursing back of my uh, 
after my wisdom tooth was pulled out. And you could feel a sense of, ah, oh, here I am alone. With no, right? Feel like an orphan, right? Where is, I used to have this presence that would swoop in and take care of this, and here I am alone to face it myself as an adult, right? Spiritually, who swoops in to accompany us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy, it's God's presence. So in closing, I invite you, and during this week, cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit. Be aware you have it in your hearts through baptism and confirmation. God is there. He's in there. You say, well, I don't feel him. I don't notice it. Well, you need to do those things that set him free. So first, as I've often said, this is a magic formula. Follow your conscience. Inasmuch as you're faithful to your conscience and do the good you know, God's presence grows in you when you're sincere, honest, faithful to your conscience, good things start to open up in your soul. You start to hear God more. You respond more. And that generosity cycle grows. The other thing is pray for it. Ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I know you're in me. You don't want to leave me orphan. God doesn't want to feel distant. He wants to be next to us. I know you're there. Come into my life more. Petition, intercede, ask for that gift of the Holy Spirit to make itself present, right? I often think of uh, experiences, many of you know, I grew up in Ohio and went to St. Vincent, St. Mary's of basketball fame where LeBron went. And uh, I didn't play with him. My little brother uh, was at this high school at the same time as he was. But one thing that I often think is that that talent that any athlete has in seed form, for it to get to where it becomes, there's a lot of work there. You could say, well, I don't feel like I've got this skill to be up here. Well, sure, you don't feel this, but what you do feel, just start working at it. Start doing what it implies. Go to practice. Do the little things. Start to favor it. And that seed will grow. That talent that's nascent there, that potential will take off, and it'll grow. And as you support it, right, that 99% perspiration that goes along with the 1% inspiration will grow. It's the same with our Christian life in the Spirit. You've got it. I don't feel it. Well, start to do those things that foster it and let it grow. Prayer, asking for it, following your conscience. And then it grows. And who knows where it will end, right? Who knows where it's end? So that's what the Holy Spirit will help us do. He'll mother you into your growing spiritual life by listening and following him. So let's pray for that gift of the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray for our mothers who have that role of nurturing us and helping us mature from little life to big life. Let's pray for them as well. And let's pray also for for the church that does that for our souls through the sacraments.